Welcome to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. My name is Warren Crank and I'm having a cup of coffee here with Matt Govan. And I'd love Matt just to introduce himself to those who are listening in. Uh, yeah, hey Warren, great to have you here. Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a dad. Um, dad of uh, three children. Uh, we've got two boys called Josh, um, which is an interesting story you might have a look at later. Uh, and a daughter called Chloe, uh, married to Kylie, uh, living here um, in beautiful North Brisbane uh, and work on the amazing Sunshine Coast in Queensland. We're going to explore a bit of Matt's journey uh, family-wise as well as in his career, which is police chaplaincy. That's, that's going to come up uh, a little bit later in our yarn. But for the moment, uh, he grew up in sort of regional Victoria. I'll let him tell you the town and a little bit about it and some of his experience while he was growing up. Uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up uh, in a town called Ballarat, uh, which is probably classed as a city, uh, actually. So it's a, it's a pretty big regional centre uh, in Victoria, a gold mining town. So it was basically founded off the back of gold mining. Uh, most people listening will know uh, Sovereign Hill, if I mention that. That's, that's kind of the main tourist attraction of Ballarat. Uh, really good and really interesting city to grow up in uh, I suppose uh, I, I lived mostly with mum growing up so it was, uh, I was a single parent family my dad um, and my mum had divorced by the time uh, I was one um, so a lot of my childhood uh, was spent riding around on my BMX around the beautiful city of Ballarat um, not getting into too much trouble uh, and spending a lot of time with my grandparents um, and my grandfather especially he'd grown up out the bush so I spent a fair bit of time um, at where he used to grow up, listening to lots of his stories. So, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, BMX. Uh, who, who listening grew up riding BMXs or those dragsters with the tall handlebars? Got to be a bit older for that, I reckon. But uh, nothing like the push bike when some of us were younger, just getting out and about. So Matty grew up in, in that city and beautiful part of the world, Victoria. We want to give a shout out to all the Victorians who are listening in and... Um, and uh, just cheer you on as you come out of the COVID period. So good on you. And we're hoping that things return to some semblance of normality sooner rather than later. So your grandparents were a huge influence on your life and perhaps on your faith as well. So give us a bit of a window into that. Uh, yeah, so look, my uh, my grandparents were... Um, um, they consistently went to church every Sunday uh, and because I spent a lot of weekends with them um, I usually went to church with them uh, very traditional Baptist church you know suit and tie type thing for him um, sandwich um, but certainly gave me a really good basis of faith um, you know great Sunday school and all that kind of stuff happening um, it wasn't just a Sunday thing uh, I've got pretty vivid memories of my grandparents sitting down in the lounge room reading through their bibles talking god stuff through the week praying for people talking about church stuff um you know being involved in serving people in the church but in the community as well so um it was a pretty well-rounded kind of a picture of what what being a follower um, of jesus was like so if you're listening in you may not have that heritage at all um but uh some of us do and it certainly was formative for matt now, faith gets tested sometimes and, and life um, doesn't always go the way that we, we hope it would. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about um, Bible College in New South Wales now and um, some of the things that happened in and around that. 
Um, yeah, so I'd, um, I'd initially uh, trained as a surveyor um, uh, and was working as a surveyor, so I found myself moving from Victoria uh, into New South Wales. Uh, and it's there that, um, I guess, after being a little bit away from faith, I kind of really reinvigorated that uh, and, uh, and ended up recognising that God's call on my life was, um, was to go into, uh, I guess I'd say, professional-style ministry, and that meant heading to Bible college. So uh, in 2001, headed to Morling Theological College. Uh, it's where I, uh, I met my first wife, Bev, um, we fell pretty madly in love and were, you know, met at the start of the year and married by the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> so it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, so four years, four years at college there in our last year uh, is when our son Josh was born. Um, and then we moved out to, uh, moved out to Newcastle to undertake um, some part-time youth ministry. Um, so I'd got a role at a church out there that was a really great fit for us and our family and where we're at in life. And, uh, yeah, started the ministry journey uh, and the life journey when we were there. And during that time, you know, in your own upheaval in your life of your, your mum and dad, there was a bit of a reconnection. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, there was. So um, so when Josh was born, um, Bev kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, do you think you should at least tell your dad that, you know, he's a grandparent um, and maybe get in contact? Uh, little did I know that his current wife and Bev had been kind of made, you know, making contact and chatting in the background to conspire to get us both to talk to each other. Bit of a stitch up. Um, look, we both wanted to make contact, but we're both afraid of, um, of being rejected by each other. Um, so we just, you know, neither of us really wanted to, you know, to make that move. Um, but look, I eventually made the call and said, hey, I'm just calling to let you know you're a grandparent. And, you know, there's probably a lot of stuff we need to talk about. Um, why don't we arrange to kind of meet and get together and, uh, hash out some of this stuff and you know you can tell your side of the story and you know we can see where we land so that's cool now you might be estranged from from a parent yourself listening in and uh, here's a bit of encouragement the timing has to be right for sure but um but there can be great stories of of people reconnecting i mean not everyone not every one of those stories has a great ending but um but matt's does which is which is really awesome so basically life is going on as you just thought it was. I imagine you had dreams of what it would look like, but then, you know, sadly, um, something happened that uh, changed all that. Uh, yeah, it did. So uh, mid uh, or May 2006, um, Bev had uh, a brain bleed. Um, uh, I was away on a, um, on a camp actually and got called back to the hospital. Um, uh, she'd uh, she'd had a fairly significant bleed that uh, uh, that had affected her, um, a, um, a bleed in the brainstem. Um, and uh, look, there are a number of ways that we could have gone forward to have dealt with that. Uh, one was a pretty massive dose of radiation, which may or may not have worked. Um, Bev was actually pregnant at the time, 21 weeks pregnant, um, and we made the decision that we didn't want to go down that path because that certainly would have been damaging, if not fatal, to our you know to our child. Um, surgery was um, very, very risky. Um, so the bleed was um, was right in the brainstem, and any any kind of surgery in that kind of place is pretty much life or death kind of stuff. So there was certainly no guarantee of um, of even survival. Um, and they were kind of the options that we had. The third one was really look, let's just wait and see. Sometimes these things clot, and they don't bleed again. And then once you're through pregnancy and everything else, we can kind of deal with stuff. Um, Unfortunately, there was a second bleed, um, and that was a fairly 
fairly significant bleed, not that the first one wasn't, but, um, and, you know, look, there was emergency surgery and, you know, she was taken to a different hospital and, um, you know, some of the best surgeons in the country that deal with this particular type of issue kind of dealt with that. But um, unfortunately, the result was that she actually passed away um, and that meant that my daughter passed away as well. So, um, yeah, pretty dark time. Um, you know, in a week and a half, I went from having basically a family of four, you know, we're looking at buying a home, ministry was going great and life just totally ripped from under you double grief uh, there and obviously that shakes you, everyone's world up um, and, um, and Matt's been been through a lot of difficulty there which has tested him and in some ways it has had a little bit of a light part to it in that it prepares him for what his calling is now but um, but we just want to sit with the pain uh, of that part of his story well Things move on, and um, and someone uh, else comes into your world, and perhaps you could tell us about that part of the story. Yeah, um, I look, mate. God is good. He's a you know he's a God of hope and um, you know restoration, um, and that's certainly part of my story and uh, and part of Kylie's story. Um, you know my wife as well. So um, we'd uh, we'd uh, we'd started talking. Um, uh, on the old MySpace, if you remember MySpace, um, and then MSN when you had the chat and you were at your computer, we'd, um, oh look, I can't remember how we'd come across each other, we were both single parents that were kind of whinging about the hardships of that and, um, you know, kind of connected with that, um, moved on to connecting, chatting, moved on to connecting, t- you know, talking on the phone, um, eventually met up in person and, um, mate, ended up, um, again, yeah, falling in love and getting married and moving to the beautiful sunshine state <laughs> which is where we're recording this you're listening to the red dirt nation podcast live from the sunshine state and uh we're in uh, matt and Kylie's wonderful home and um just been great to share a cup of coffee you might hear the coffee mugs uh clunking as we keep on chatting here now Kylie had some children too so tell us a little bit about that uh, yeah, so um, look, all our children were young. Um, my Josh would have been three and a half by that stage. Uh, her Chloe was nearly four, uh, and Josh would have been about five and a half. So, um, so she had a Josh, and I had a Josh. That was one of the talking points for a start. Um, you don't get to choose the names of your stepchildren, um, uh, and so we ended up with two Joshuas um, in the family, uh, and we're, you know we're kind of known about the place. You know, you're the ones with the two Joshuas. So. Um, Mate, look, blend of the family, um, it's a great thing, but it's a difficult thing as well. Um, and look, if there's anyone out there who's listening doing that, it's, um, you know, look, it's a great road, it's a fun road, it's an awesome road, but it's a really difficult road as well. So, um, look, I won't say there weren't challenges and I won't say there aren't challenges in that, um, but, mate, I love my family, they're great. Um, and I don't think I could have asked for better kids. You know, I'd, I certainly see them as mine. Um, um, and I know that, you know, and I know that Kylie sees Josh's, you know, as hers as well, so... Well, you know, are there any one or two tips you could give people experiencing that? Um, it might be reaching out to get help. It could be anything. So what are a couple of things that you learnt along the way that might be of help to someone who's listening in who's got that blended family situation? Because that, that's a lot of us these days. Yeah, mate, look, it's a good question. Um, I think you really, you really have to be very intentional um, about your parenting and making sure that you're on the same on the same page um we certainly found you know there were times when we wouldn't be on the same page um 
and sometimes that's just you know you don't know where the other person stands on something um kids aren't dumb they know who you know which parent they can get something out of um they'll certainly play step parents off against each other uh so certainly being on the same page when you're parenting um is a big thing and that's not easy um you know that takes a lot of discussion a lot of intentionality and time um and a lot of failure in there as well sometimes of you know i think i've got this right and then yeah no i haven't so um and look just having having the wider family support you um and accept you as a family um and not have mine and yours or ours and theirs um that's a really big key thing it's a very very hard thing but if you've got people around you who just say okay you are a family and we treat you like a family um that's really special and really important Wow. So if you're grandparents of a blended family, then, um, you know, there's a little tip for you that your acceptance and you extending your embrace to the, to the whole mob um, makes a really big difference. So might not always be easy, but uh, sometimes the hardest path is the best one. So give that some thought. Well, um, you've moved into um, school chaplaincy after that and did that for quite a long time. So give us a bit of your chappy story um, as far as when it prepared you for what was next with police, uh, yeah. So um, I came I came into to school chaplaincy um, towards the end of two thousand and seven, um, and I think that's when that's when SU had kind of just you know for for want of a better word they just kind of got the contract for chaplaincy I suppose um, and we're making that massive transition from a fairly small volunteer organisation to a very very large staffed organisation with lots of employees. So um, it was a fairly uh, exciting and interesting time to be part of SU. Uh, really exciting time to be part of school chaplaincy. Um, I kicked off in two different primary schools, uh, and I was the uh, um, um, I was the original chaplain in both of those schools. So I was kind of kicking off chaplaincy um, in both of those, um, and was fairly aware of that as well. So that you know how I went might determine the success or the future of chaplaincy in those schools once I'd kind of moved on. So, um, yeah, so look, I did some primary school uh, and I did some high school as well. It was a, you know, pretty good blend. Some um, uh, some fairly uh, exclusive public schools um, and some very not exclusive public schools in there as well. So I kind of had the full gamut of, um, you know, um, of experience of them to, you know, parents that are quite wealthy and quite well off, um, you know, to people that are just kind of, you know, in the pits are doing it really tough and, you know, needing a lot of love and support. So, yeah. Great exposure uh, to, you know, the breadth of our community and chappies reach out to whoever they can, whoever's really open to that. And chaplaincy really is about people inviting you into their story. We don't insist, can't insist. But um, we've also got a podcast from Duncan Brown who did a, a little stint as CEO of SU in some of those real big growth years. So you might want to look back through the podcast. You'll see one from Duncan Brown there. Well, then came chaplaincy in the police service. Tell us about how that came onto your radar and and sort of how you got involved in that. Um, yeah, well, mate, it, it, it's a story that actually starts way back uh, in my second year when I was at college. Um, so um, as part of a pastoral care subject they had uh, a couple of army chaplains who came in um and spoke about chaplaincy um and um mate look i just i just felt a huge kick from the spirit to kind of say hey this is for you this is where i've ultimately got you you know heading for ministry so um you know and i remember sitting there and i remember listening to those guys and just like it was just so clear that the spirit was saying yeah this is you know chaplaincy is where ultimately i've got you kind of heading 
Um, so certainly school chaplaincy was part of that journey, but uh, made it look, um, it was a, it was a completely random conversation that I had with someone uh, who was going to the church I was at at the time and uh, they fixed computers and they'd gone to a guy's house and fixed a computer and they said, oh, they're a chaplain too. And I said, oh, what school? And they said, no, a police chaplain. Um, I'd never heard of it, um, but I had started thinking um, or maybe God had put on my heart uh, emergency service, you know, or military chaplaincy was, you know, was maybe about the... You know, about the time to start kind of looking into that. Um, so, mate, I made a few inquiries, and there was a position available. And um, look, I'd say it was very convenient, but I'd say that you know, God did His thing, and uh, mate, I ended up in the right place at the right time. So good, and shout out to all those emergency service workers who might be listening in. You you work at the extreme end of things, and we we want to honour you and say how much we value what you do. Have you got a little bit of a, a history of the police chaplaincy that you could give us? Give us some idea of its story um, within that part of the emergency services. Uh, yeah, mate, I think it started around about uh, 1988. There were, um, there were a few people who kind of got together and, um, uh, and started to offer chaplaincy services to the, um, to the Queensland police. And I think it was around that point that the police um, and a few people within actually saw the value of chaplaincy and what it could do uh, and I think initially it was taken on as a bit of a trial there were three or four guys that started originally um, and I guess it's kind of grown and developed you know from there we're now at a place where we've got uh, seven full-time chaplains um, another full-time equivalent position and about another um, about another 25 part-timers and volunteers who are caring for people all around the state so and Matt, Matt is one of those now we're going to take uh, your minds back, listeners, those of you in Queensland, particularly to 2017. Senior Constable Brett Fort was killed in the line of duty, and um, it was a very tragic and high-profile case. That's why we're we're happy to yarn about it today, even though it's a horrible thing to talk about because a lot of people know about it. So we're not revealing any confidences here. Um, can you sketch for those people listening in? what happened on that fateful day and and how you were called into that situation um yeah well um mate look there was a fender who'd um made himself you know was known to police uh had made basically his location known to police um they tried to apprehend him um there certainly wasn't a pursuit but certainly he'd kind of driven them um around for i think a couple of hours um he was certainly heading to a particular place in a particular direction and uh, and got to a point um, down a certain dirt track where he um, he stepped out of the vehicle um, and fired on the police that were following. Um, Brett happened to be in the lead vehicle um, in the driver's seat and he um, yeah he copped the full barrage of that. So um, so yeah that was a situation that escalated very quickly. Um, you know the police that were part of part of the team that were following him came under pretty significant fire. Um, certainly feared for their lives, um, uh, and then um, and then the offender continued on and um, holed up in a C situation uh, until that was resolved the next day. So, so that's the details of of that tragedy, and uh, we just spare a thought for family involved there. Um, from a chaplain's point of view, when are you invited into a situation like that, and what does that look like? Um, well, mate, I'd um, uh, I'd I'd started hearing that an officer had been uh, shot. Um, I think it was about 2.20 that the incident actually occurred. It was probably by about 3 o'clock that I'd started 
hearing around the traps that maybe something had occurred you know up in the Toowoomba area um, and didn't really know much more than that um, once it became a bit clearer uh, I actually called the chaplain who was up there um, uh, he asked me if I'd actually help him out and come up and give him a hand so um, mate I started heading heading up that way um, I work up the Sunshine Coast so it's a bit of a trip um, but then I got called so we've got a, um, um, a whole command that actually looks after um, you know police support and welfare um, and I actually got a call from the head of them who said yeah we you know like we want to activate you um, and get you up there to provide as much support as we can um, to the immediate people that were involved in the incident but also to the wider police family as well so there's a bit of a baptism of fire for you that one you're obviously helping police out in terms of their own grief and the processing of this um, and then there's a memorial service to be a part of too. So tell us about how you prepare for that because some people listening in may not be aware that in the police service, chaplains, chaplains are highly valued and that they really do um, become pretty pivotal in these sorts of moments of tragedy and grief and even remembering. You'll make the... Um Look, the substantial um, chaplain who's based up there, he was, uh, he was primarily responsible for putting the, um, dealing with the family um, and helping with the family primarily um, and helping, with, um, helping to put all that funeral together. Um, I, as one of the other full-time chaplains, was certainly uh, helping and supporting, but he kind of did the main body of work. I want to recognise that. Um, but certainly there was a you know like a lot of work that went into that uh, there's a lot of negotiation with family um, and ultimately it's what the family want um, you know as to where you go with that um, Brett was a very proud officer uh, and it became pretty clear pretty quickly that um, you know he would want uh, a funeral with full honours um, and um, I would say it's probably the biggest police funeral that's occurred uh, certainly in Queensland um, it was a very big deal. So there were a lot of logistical type things. Um, and one of the things you've really got to try and do is remember that, you know, we're here honouring and remembering, um, you know, a person uh, and not letting all those logistical type things get in the way of what we actually do, what we say and the fact that we need to honour this person in their life and their service. Which they did and there's still you can still see little excerpts from that um, from that funeral time, so... Of course, police chaplaincy is rarely as intense as that. Um, what are what are normal duties like from a day to day, week to week perspective? Um, look, if you can say there's a normal. Um, look, a lot of our work, I guess, is uh, um, is proactive um, and certainly building building really good trust and relationship with officers. So, um, one of the main things that we do um, in whatever area that we're based, we'll spend quite a bit of time um, on the ground in the stations, um, meeting with officers, building those relationships, chatting to them about what's been going on for them on the road, how things are going for them in terms of their um, in terms of their job, but certainly much wider than that, how things are going for them, you know, with life and family and kids and finances and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff really. So uh, as much as we want to uh, help respond to their, you know, to their grief and trauma when they see the stuff that they see, uh, we certainly want to give far more holistic care to them, you know, for all of life as well. So, um, so look, certainly visiting stations is one thing. Um, responding to critical incidents um and look you know responding to some of those everyday things as well there you know there are 
fatal accidents, um, there are suicides, um, there are people who, who just die, um, people who attempt suicide every single day in Queensland. Um, officers are seeing those things and being confronted with them. Um, and if we um, learn about those kinds of things, then we'll certainly follow up with those officers just to check in uh, and see how they're going. Um, it may be the first one they've had, it may be the 20th one they've had. Um, it doesn't really matter, we kind of want to check in and just make sure that they're rolling along okay. Uh, and if they do need help, that they're getting the right help you know, for where they're at. Okay, and if you need any help, um, always call Lifeline or if there's a chappy in your world, then feel free to call chaplains as well because they, um, they're there to respond and help people in a time of uh, crisis, whether it be mental health or, or whatever. So tragedy, which we talked a bit about, not only touching you personally, but also in the line of your work with the police service, can be a test of faith. And I'm wondering, you know, as a Christian person, when you're going through that or when you're seeing it, um, where do you see God fits when things go horribly wrong? Um, mate, I want to acknowledge that sometimes it's really hard to see um, and sometimes you can't see that um, and sometimes it can take a while for you to see that. Um, I'm, I'm really comforted by the fact that, um, that God is a God who has experienced pain himself um, in the mystery of the Trinity, God has himself experienced dying. Uh, he's experienced his son dying. Uh, he's experienced a core part of himself dying. Uh, he's experienced the death, you know, as Jesus of friends. Um, God has experienced the pain of watching a people that he loves turn their back on him and, you know, turn away from him, um, you know, and, and he continues to experience that every day. So uh, he certainly is a God who, who knows pain, has experienced pain, um, and I think therefore can, can empathise and sympathise with that. Um, I don't want to say there's a God that causes pain, but he's certainly a God who can come alongside and say, hey, I've, worked this, you know, I've walked this journey too. I know it, I understand it. Um, I can see your pain, I can, you know, I can hear your pain, but I'm also a God of hope and of you know um and of restoration um and i'm a god who loves you and cares for you um and even when it seems really dark and horrible um know that there is light at the end and i'm i'm always there with you and i'm always there for you bit of encouragement there um and and we're keeping it real here at red dot nation i appreciate the way um matt's really answered that question well we're going to move to um just some life experience things. Uh, I often ask people, where have you been in Australia that just blew you away? And uh, what's your answer to that, Matt? Uh, mate, look, there's probably a couple of answers. Um, I love the Sunshine Coast. Um, when I first went to the Sunshine Coast, uh, I fell in love with it. Um, I'm sure it was part of Kylie's ploy to get me up here to show me the beautiful Sunshine Coast. But I remember driving up, you know, um, up through kind of, you know, Mullaney, Montville area um, and the fact that you're, you know, in this beautiful, hilly, lush area, you know, ocean is not far away as well. Um, it's really fantastic. Um, I really connect with God when I'm near the ocean. Um, so it's kind of one of those things. Um, we used to go on a lot of beach trips growing up uh, and I remember going to this place called uh, called Port Ferry. So Port Ferry and Queenscliff are a couple of places people might have heard of. Um, and it might sound a bit dark, but Port Ferry used to have this lighthouse that used to have this massive foghorn that used to go off at night. Um, and I remember going and standing up near the lighthouse, um, you can hear the ocean smashing against the rocks at the bottom, the, 
the fog is really thick it's like soup you can hardly even see your foot in front of you the foghorns making a massive sound um you know you can hear the ocean kind of raging below um you know, it's night time um it's a like it's a different experience but it's a it's a pretty special and you know spiritual experience i'd say as well mate so they're probably two quite contrasting things but mate they're two things that stick in my mind well that painted a powerful picture actually you're listening to the red dirt nation podcast i'm having a yarn over coffee with matt govan we're about to wrap up the final thing i'm going to ask matt is for a bit of a wisdom drop if there's something that he's learnt in life that he'd like to pass on to people some lesson that might be a benefit to others matt what would that be uh, mate, I was saying this to my son last night. He didn't get it, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the listeners do. Um, the little things are the big things. Um, so um, it mightn't be seen uh, as a big thing to remember someone's name, but that can be important. Details about their lives, um, remembering the type of coffee someone enjoys, um, helping someone out, a smile, you know, a wave. Um, sometimes it's those little things that we do consistently for people that actually mean a lot. Um, and certainly my experience in family life is that it's those little things that you do every day um, that really, really make a big difference. So, yeah, the small things are the big things. Small things are the big things. That's so good. Well, you've been listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. It's been so good to go on a journey really today with Matt Govan, and we really want to say thank you for listening in, and we'll catch you later somewhere down the track. <laughs>